So I was, I was talking about the rain starting already. So funny when people starts to rain, people are like, I can't drive. And, uh, and I said, it's supposed to rain like five days or someone even said 12 days in a row. Like all these storms coming in. Like we're going to build an ark. <laughs> and, and we had somebody in first service and they were all, oh, and I'm all, that's not a good thing. What are you talking about? <laughs> uh, let me give you, where, where'd you, ki- oh, there you go. All right. Are these baby bottles uh, in the back? Uh, CareNet is a nonprofit group in our city, and what they do is they help uh, women in crisis. And one of the largest fundraisers they do during the year is this baby bottle fundraiser. They hand them out to all these different places, and we have asked for some of the baby bottles. And what you do is on the way out the door today, if you feel so inclined, grab a bottle. And during the next couple of weeks, what you do, we have extra change in your pocket. You go home, whatever. Throw the extra change in the bottle. Dollars and five dollars and, you know, bills actually fit in these as well because big open top on you from right inside. And then in two or three weeks, we'll have you guys bring them back and all of the money in these bottles goes all the way back to CareNet. All goes to them. And they're a great organization. So if you're so inclined, grab one today on the way out, fill it with money, bring it back so I give it to them. These are really nice bottles. Last year they were a little thin. These are really cool. I was thinking about filling it with like chocolate milk and being on. Yeah. On March 6th, we are doing what's called a car care clinic. If you are like a like a single mom or maybe you're elderly, a little older, or maybe you just can't, you don't have a lot of money, you can't get some maintenance done on your car, we are doing a car care clinic, as I said, on March 6th. Uh, in the back, there's a sign-up sheet. Sign up, bring your car down. We will do some do some routine maintenance on it for you if you need it. Uh, if you would like to help, uh, guys or girls, anybody can help. Sign, there's a sign-up sheet in the back to sign up to help. You can be a greeter. You can be a parts runner. Uh, if you're a guy, you don't know how to fix a car, you should show up and sign up to be a helper so you learn. So when you find a chick someday, you can be, oh, hey, baby, I can work on your car. And we're, we're just all here to help you out. That's... Uh, lastly, I've had some people ask me about Haiti and what we are doing as a church for Haiti. Uh, I have I have a couple friends. Uh, they're, they're Haitian. They're actually in the States right now. I'm meeting with them this week. And right now, there's there's a large outpouring of support that's going to Haiti. A lot of workers, a lot of money going there. And what typically will happen in about two or three months, the news will stop reporting, people will stop seeing it, and people will stop giving and helping, even though this rebuild effort is going to take a really long time. Like, you guys probably don't even remember, but last year there were hurricanes in Haiti, and they still were recovering from that. And a lot of people are like, really? Yeah, yeah, because it's not in the news anymore. So what we want to do is we, we want to find ways to do long-term sustained help to the region. And so I'm talking with my friends, and we'll probably do a missions trip. The airport is back open for people to show up. We'll probably do a missions trip in July to go down and help out and do some things. So keep that in the back of your mind if you're interested. And we're probably talking about monetary support closer to that time than now. If you want to give to people who need money in Haiti, you go ahead and do that if you want to. But if you want to save it and wait until we can see what we can actually do from someone who actually lives uh, there, then hang out for a little bit, and then we'll get there okay yes because we want to do things right we want people to have long-term help all right why don't you stand on the freedom of god's word it's galatians chapter 1 verse 3 and it says grace and peace to you from god our father and the lord jesus christ let's pray father this morning i ask that we would be a people who understand your grace and your peace that we have peace with you because of your grace and we'd be those who live and walk in that grace have us also be those who can extend that to other people around us so that the world knows who you are by the grace and peace that you've offered to your kids. Amen. 
Have a seat. If you have a Bible, open to Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to jump right in. You're like, what? I know, I usually give you like a 20-minute preamble before we start. Today we're just going to head right into it. You're like, oh, oh no, what's going to happen today? You'll go with me. We'll all be good. You'll be good. Ephesians chapter 1, Galatians, Ephesians, and your New Testament. Trust me, it's there. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. This is how it starts. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So the first thing you know about this book of Ephesians is that it is written by Paul. Paul actually writes this book while in prison. God changes Paul's life. He makes him an apostle. Scripture teaches that other than Jesus, the apostles are the foundation of the church. They would have preached the gospel and found new churches. So it's written by Paul to the saints in Ephesus. So he's writing to these people in Ephesus. This is a church in Asia Minor. If you missed last week, I gave you a whole thing on Acts 19 about the history of Paul in this region and the history of the city of Ephesus. If you missed it, you can download it online, ourelement.org. It's free. Get what you pay for. It says the faithful in Christ Jesus. So he's writing to the faithful in Christ, those who call themselves Christians but also actually live it. Not like, you know, Americans are like, oh, I'm a Christian, but they actually live the walk out. Verse 2 is the same as Galatians 1.3. It says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This means that God has given us grace through Jesus, and through that grace we now have peace with God. We used to be God's enemies because of our sins, and now we have peace with God. This is how Paul starts all of his letters. You probably start your letters with, you know, dear so-and-so. Paul is just awesome because he starts his letters like that. Right. So now what happens is you get to these verses 3 through 14. The next 11 verses are where we're going to camp this morning. It's what I want to talk to you about. And Paul, in these verses, he's very excited. I am actually very excited this morning. After first service, I had two people say, slow down. Because I'm just like, oh, I'm just, I'm just so excited because Paul's so excited in what you read here. Ephesians, you'll see throughout the book that Ephesians deals with the purpose of the church, deals with your emotional life. Are you angry? Are you bitter? Has somebody defiled you? It talks about how to have a good marriage, how to have decent children, how to be a good employer, how to be a good employee. It talks about how you fight with your enemy and not your spouse. You're welcome. But he starts chapter 1 with where we all must start, and that is who is God? Because you will not have much of anything in your life that reflects the fullness of God unless you actually know who he is. You with me? Okay. So that's how Paul starts, with God. And what you get in these 11 verses that come up are some of the most highly debated verses in Scripture. This morning you're going to get Theology 101, and if you agree with me, you'll be right. I mean, seriously, we could spend endless ages talking about the book of Ephesians, but we won't. You're, you're welcome. The Puritan William Gurnall actually taught the book of Ephesians for 30 years. 30 years. Easy to get bogged down. My wife and I lived in Sedona, Arizona for a year. We went to this church. They were on Ephesians chapter 2. A year later when we left, Ephesians chapter 4. It's like, let's look at this word Paul. What does this word Paul mean? Sometimes Paul just means Paul. It just means Paul. Anyway, we're talking about the word Paul till your grandkids get here. We won't do that to you. I got 19 weeks. Did first week last week. 18 more left. Today you get 14 verses. Originally, when Scripture was written in, in Greek, there is no punctuation in it. it. It's how you would end certain words would actually let people know, oh, this is where like a period would go or a comma or a break. When Paul writes his 11 verses, he is so excited that he doesn't put any punctuation at all. There is, it's just like straight through. I mean, he is so excited about who God is and what God has done that he doesn't pause for anything. He starts in verse 3 with praise God, goes to verse 14, praise God. In the middle, he answers who God is, what he has done, and why he is so excited about it. So I'm going to read these to you. 
follow along, and I'm gonna, I can't do it in one breath, I'd pass out, which may be actually pretty cool for you, but verse three, this is how it goes. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, uh, through his blood of the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. And he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times have met their fulfillment to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed you were marked in him with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, who is deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. <sighs> Breathe. Long sentence. Paul's got a lot to say. I want to break this out for you so you can understand. Again, theology 101. This is what Paul explains. The first thing he talks about is who is God throughout human history. There are three basic answers to this question. Atheists say it's easy. There isn't one. Then you have polytheists who say there's lots of them. Then you have monotheists like Christians and Muslims and Jews, and they say there's just one God. Polytheists are like Buddhists, Hindus, Mormons, a bunch of crazy people out there. Uh, atheists, you know, you probably know some in your life. Psalm 14.1 says, The fool says in his heart there is no God. So we want to be a people who believe Scripture, and we don't want to be fools, so we say, okay, there is a God. Christianity has always been monotheistic. We believe in one God that has revealed himself in Father, Son, and Spirit. Paul is emphatic in Ephesians 4, 5. He says there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism. The Ten Commandments, God says there is no other God but me. Deuteronomy 6, 4 is what's called the Shema. The Jews used to pray this three times a day, which I think is very interesting. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The word for one is the word echad, and it means a singularity and plurality. It's used of a cluster of grapes, many grapes, one cluster, Father, Son, Spirit. All throughout the book of Isaiah, God says, There is no other God but me. I am the one true God. There is one God. He reveals himself in Father, Son, and Spirit. You see this at Jesus' baptism. You see it at the end of the book of Matthew when Jesus tells his disciples to go out and teach and baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. What this tells you is that God is a community within himself. God did not create people because he was lonely and he needed our company. The Bible teaches he is a community within himself. There's diversity and unity. And the Bible says that this one God made us in his likeness. We are made to exist in relationship. We were not meant to live autonomous, disconnected lives. We were meant to be connected to other people and to God. It's why people who spend all their time alone are, are a little weird. I don't know if you know some people who play like World of Warcraft. Just throwing it out there, okay? They're, they're a little weird. They spend all their time in their, in their bedroom at home alone playing on the computer. They don't really interact with other people unless it's like, let's kill Trogdar, you know, whatever. You know, I'm doing this wedding a couple years ago. And the bride, she's got all of her bridesmaids, and they're fairly normal. And I, and I got this groom, and he and all of his groomsmen were computer geeks. And they didn't spend time with a lot of people. And so you get, and they're just totally out. They don't know how to interact with anybody. So the bridesmaids are waiting to be escorted down to the front. And these guys are like, I'm like, stick your arm out. They're all, and the girl's all, boom. And these guys all, 
I've never touched one of these, you know. And they, <laughs> and they, and they walk to the front. And I'm like, you know, there, there are some uh, dads who walk their daughters down to the front of the aisle when I do weddings, and, and they're very uncomfortable because they've been through like a, a, a broken marriage. And a lot of times, dads, they, they just go and they start sitting alone. They don't talk to a lot of people, and they don't even know how to love and hug their daughter. And I'm like, I'm like, hug her, kiss her, you know, she's your daughter, oh baby. And then look at the guy and go, don't mess her up. And then you know, you, and you hand her. We are meant to be a people who exist in community, and when we don't, things get wrong with us. We're meant to connect with God and other people, but Adam sins. Our first parents sin, and they separate themselves from God. And in separating themselves from God, they separate themselves from each other. That is sin. Sin separates us. So God comes and God reconciles where sin separates. God looks at us in our need and resolves to save us. Verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 3 through 12 talk about the work of God, the Father, and Jesus. Verses 13 and 14 talk about the work of the Spirit. God has a plan to redeem us. The plan was executed in the person of Christ. Verse 7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. God has come to take away our sin, what separates us from God and other people. This is an... All right. Someone's breaking in. Everybody's all. Whatever. Someone's all. I don't know who it was. Set your alarm in a church parking lot. What's wrong with you people? This is, okay, this is all important because God is a God of holiness and justice and might and integrity. And when in Genesis and God says, you sin, you die, it's the truth. It, it's not like today, you know, you, you got parents and stuff and they're like, don't touch that. And a little kid's all. And then the parents are all, oh, what am I going to do? Oh, my goodness. My kid, you know, I, I just can't do anything about it. That, that's not God. God does not wink at our sin and then let us off the hook because to do that would be to deny himself. God would have to sin to let us off the hook for our sin. But God is also a God of love and mercy. And so what he does, God has a plan to save us. And in that plan, God's mercy and his justice kiss at the cross of Christ. When Jesus died, he died for our sin, what separates us from God and others. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Martin Luther called this the great transference. My sin for his righteousness. Because our sin has been taken away, we can experience unity with God again. Jesus lives, dies, he rises from the dead, he ascends to heaven. Verses 13 and 14 says the Holy Spirit is then sent out to change and transform the children of God. Now today, we have lots of book about, books about changing people and behavior and attitudes because we all know that we're just awful people. We do terrible things to each other all the time. But God knows the only way that people really change is inside out, a work of the Holy Spirit. The Trinity's work in salvation. It's the Father's plan. The Son dies for our sin. The Holy Spirit gives us a new heart, a new life. He reveals Christ, who in turn enables us to love God the Father. This is what God does. From the heart of the Father, the work of the Son, applied by the Spirit. Verse 13, And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, because belief is the key. You are marked in Him with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit. Did you see how that works? You with me? Haven't lost you yet? Okay, here we go. This is, this is now the metaphors that Paul uses in this section of Scripture about salvation. What does all of this mean? The first thing he talks about is blessing. Verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us. 
Now, we like this word blessing, right? It's a good word. Yes, he has blessed us. We think it means happy and healthy and wealthy and good looking and, you know, green lights and no more spiders in your house and tofu disappears off the planet because everything else is now good for you that they try to make the tofu look and taste like. But the scripture teaches that many times the blessings we receive are not even always in this life. Sometimes they're in the life to come. James teaches that any gift you have ever received in your life comes from the God, the hand of God. You may look at your life and you may say, man, I do not feel very blessed at all. Maybe your car is a beater and so is your face. And you say, oh, I'm not very, first, first service went, oh. Maybe you say, uh, I'm not blessed. But think about Paul. Paul is writing from prison, from prison. And he's writing about blessing. The blessing is not primarily about your stuff, though it does include your stuff. It's that God has given us himself. And that is the blessing. In Scripture, relationship with God is likened to a husband and a bride or a child and a parent. I'll tell you, one of the greatest gifts that God has ever given me in my life is my wife. My wife is smart. I can talk to her about theological concepts, and, and she and she usually gets it. Sometimes I bore her because I go on and on and on because I'm so excited about it. She's like, yeah, I got it half an hour ago. You, you can you can stop doing that. My wife has unmatched integrity. My wife is black and white. I'm like, I straddle the gray line. I'm like, oh, let's just, and she's black and white. She's She's amazing. My wife is not intimidated by me, though I wish she was a little more than she has. And, and she loves me. She really does. She loves me. But the greatest gift she has ever given me is herself. I was laying in bed the other night. She, she wasn't feeling good this week, and she's asleep, and I'm laying in bed awake. And, and I'm just thinking, I'm thinking, she gave herself to me. That totally humbles me. Maybe you're uh, in a relationship and, and you know this intimacy. Maybe you wish you had it. Maybe you used to. Maybe else. But I will tell you that kind of intimacy is the kind of intimacy that God seeks with us because we have been blessed with nothing less than God giving himself to us. Throughout Scripture, you will see the words, in Christ, in Christ. This Greek verb appears 30 times in the book of Ephesians of being in Christ. Why are we in Christ? Because God has given himself to us. We have been blessed. The second thing he tells you is we, he chose us. He chose us. Verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us. Now people are like, oh, you know, predestination and election and foreknowledge and choosing. People love to debate these subjects all over the place. But Paul doesn't put it up as be debated. He's not trying to be like, oh, this is my arguments for it. This is Paul's prayer of praise and thanksgiving. It is fact and reality. It is not theological conjecture. It is written from a guy who was murdering Christians. And now he loves Jesus because God pursued him, not because he pursued God. We live in a democratic society. we got one man, one woman, one vote. The Bible, one God, one vote. <laughs> That's how it works. But the good part is that if it wasn't for God, we'd all be lost. Romans 3.11 says no one seeks God. That means God seeks us. And if you separate the love of God from this doctrine, you will freak out. Some people say, oh, what, you know, did God force his will on me? Did God make me love him? Oh, the horror of such a thing. Paul says, no, praise be to God. You have to understand God as a father. He is passionate about his kids. He loves his kids. Jesus says you pray to God as a father. Humanity is like a bunch of kids in their teen years going, oh, we hate you, it's all about me. And God's a dad who loves his kids, who will not leave his kids alone. Dads are relentless about pursuing their kids. Little kids, they're crazy. They, they like take off their clothes and pee in the yard and run away. It's like, you know, where they, it looks well, it looks fun when you're two, but 
If you're an adult and you do it, it's just creepy, so don't do it. But the little kids do this and they run away from their parents because it's fun and naked and two and woo, they run away. Like, and if they got away, where would they go? You can't go anywhere. You're naked and two and homeless. You're not going to get anywhere. And when a kid runs away like that, a parent just doesn't go, oh, you know, uh, what am I supposed to do? He's just running away. He's two. Uh, James and I were having lunch at KFC, of all places, uh, a couple weeks ago. And we're sitting inside, and outside on the sidewalk, there, there's this dad and his little boy. And they're playing, and the dad gets distracted like this, and the little kid sees the traffic, and he goes, ah. And he goes, and he gets right to the edge of Broadway, like this, and he goes, and the dad goes, wham, and he grabs him. He pulls him back, and the kid's all, ah, all the, all the way back. And this is what it's like with us. This is God coming and saving and redeeming us. He grabs a hold of us, and we kick and scream because he is a good dad. He's a good dad to you and I. And we're just these crazy little kids. God doesn't look at us and says, well, they're running away. I don't want to impose my will. He wants to save his kids. Dad loves their kids. Dads give birth to their kids. Well, moms give birth to kids. A dad's, a dad's job is less traumatic and much more fun. But dads, dads love their kids. Dads love their kids. And a dad's will is more important than a child's will. We're like a kid running into traffic. God grabs us and says, you're going to play in this yard right here. We have been blessed. We have been chosen. We have been adopted. Verse 5, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. God has adopted us as lost children. Kids need a parent. If any of you have been, have been adopted in here, this should leap off the page. Just leap right off at you. Kids need a dad. We are kids who have run away from God, and God has brought us home, given us his name, clothed us, restored us, and given us a home. We've been blessed and chosen and adopted. We have been redeemed. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. Redemption is what God has done. The major reference to redemption all throughout Scripture, scripture is to the book of Exodus. We talked about this six weeks ago. We did six weeks on this, that God's people were in cruel bondage for 400 years, and they cry out for freedom. And God says, those are my kids. They will get freedom. And he leads them out. He parts the Red Sea, takes a nation of over one million people into deliverance. Redemption takes you from bondage to freedom so you, should, you can worship Christ. As, as God redeemed his people, he redeems us from our bondage to our cruel Pharaoh that we call sin. We are slaves to sin. We don't want to be slaves, but we are. Take an honest look at your life and you'll realize you're a slave to sin because we all die. No matter how much bottled you, water you drink or how many veggies you eat or how much you exercise, you're still going to die. You're going to walk out in the middle of the street and boom, you hit by a car. That's why I don't exercise. We, we all sin. Even though we have so much time to learn how not to, we simply find new ways to do it and hide it because we are chained to it. You only get out of that by trusting in Christ. He is, is our God who comes and lives without sin and he gives that righteousness to us. He dies for us and rises from the dead so we get life. We can now live in holiness and freedom and purity and eternal life forever in Christ. Blessed, chosen, adopted. See, I'm so excited about this. Blessed, chosen, adopted, redeemed. And we know the purpose or the mystery of his will. Verse 9. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. Part of what it means to be a Christian is that God has revealed some of his mysteries to us. You know, we have this push in our souls. Romans 1 tells you it's from your conscience and creation. That tells us we are more than just meat and water. 
We don't understand ourselves. We don't understand human history. We don't understand how everything works or why everything works the way it does. This is why you get religion and philosophy. It's all these man's conjectures trying to come up with our perhaps this is how it goes. The best we do is guess and debate. But God has revealed himself, and we don't have to guess and debate. He has told us. He has shown up in the person of Christ and lived and died and rose, so we have proof. We know who God is. We know what sin has done to us and what sin does to other people when we commit it against them. And then we know what Jesus has given us, what God has given us. We know the mystery of his will. In verse 11, we know the purpose of God's will. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Do we have free will? Yes, we have free will. You know, we all sin all the time. Does God make us sin? No. Does God make us sin? No. Okay, so next time you're like doing something stupid, be like, oh, God made me do it. God didn't make you do that. Okay. Scripture teaches that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Sin comes from us. We defile each other. People defile us. We defile ourselves. We. This is this is one of the reasons we have eternity, attorneys and locks on our doors and handguns and, and bullets, because people are going to sin against us, and we don't like that, and we're afraid of it, and we want to stop it. When people sin against us, we think God is absent. But here, it tells you that God works out everything. It says everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. That means you and I will all do stupid things against each other, but God is bigger than us. And if you are in the middle of distress, if you have lost hope, if you have a whole bunch of loss, maybe you feel like the people in Haiti this morning. I will tell you that God in these verses tells you that he is not done. God will bend everything to his will. Romans 8.28 says he works out all things for the good of those who love him. Genesis 50.20 says you meant this for evil, but God intended this for good. He is bigger than all that has been done to us. Something good always comes out of it. Nothing that happens in your life is useless or in vain. These are promises of God. And all of these things, they are done here. It is not some later time somewhere else in heaven. You are chosen here, adopted here, redeemed here, seeing the mystery of his will here, knowing the purpose of God's of God here. And then in verse 13 and 14, it tells you it's just the beginning. It says, having believed, you are marked in him with the seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who has deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. What is the culmination of all the images that Paul gives? They're just the beginning, just the beginning the beginning of the outpouring of God's grace. We do not even have the mental faculty to understand what God has intended for his kids. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived, but God has prepared for those who love him. This is just an appetizer for the main course. His blessing and, and being adopted and redeemed and revealing his mystery and showing the purpose of God, all of these things are simply something that's supposed to make us hunger and thirst for the righteousness of God. You'll be filled when we see him face to face. All we have is simply a deposit, a down payment that goes on forever and ever. And you see why I'm so excited? See why Paul's so excited? Because it's really cool. Now, how has God accomplished this goal? Why did God even choose to do this for us? If you have your Bible, look at verse 4. It says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And then what does it say? In love. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace. God comes to his creation who he knows is going to kill him. Why? Love. Love. 
First John 4 says, God is love. Love comes from God. We would never conduct ourselves this way for our enemies. Never. Why would God do this? Love and grace. This is different than every other pagan concept of God in the world. Every other one. And even, even the, the Ephesian culture and our culture, you know, they believe that the spiritual realm is a place you have to manipulate the spirits to be nice to you. Christianity is not that way. The one true God, different than every human conception of God. It's why he must reveal himself, because we wouldn't be able to figure this out on our own. God cares about his people. We do not need to manipulate him. God doesn't love us because we are lovely. God loves us to make us lovely. We don't get our acts together and come to God. God changes us. You don't need to go to Mecca and pray a hundred times a day and act real nice and tithe and destroy all your boy band CDs, although that would be really nice. You don't need to do all that to make God be good to you. God has already been good to you. Already has. And then we are a people who then respond to this goodness by loving and giving and serving and honoring because God's love should breathe that in his people. And if that is God's plan, how does this work out in history? Because people freak out about this whole idea. It totally confuses people. God exists outside of time. Genesis chapter 1 says, In the beginning there was God. Before the beginning, what was there? God. Okay? Before the beginning there was God. Revelation called Jesus the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He creates time. He stands above time, yet he involves himself in his creation. But God is not locked into sequential order like you and I are. For as time moves forward... I'm a little boy, I hit junior high, I got this crazy peach fuzz mustache, then, then I get into high school and I grow hair lots of other places, and now my hair is either falling out or growing in places where I just wish it would stop. I am bound by sequential order. For God, he sees me as a little boy and a crazy hairy old man all at the same time. All at the same time. So how and when did God's plan come to be? You're told, before the creation of the world. It says, verse 4, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. That means the foundation of the earth. God chose us to be his kids before there was a world? Yes. Well, we hadn't sinned yet. Right. Well, why did God let us sin? Because he wants a relationship of love. In order for there to be love, you have to have the ability to choose love. We chose not to love, but God chose to love us. God's God chased us down and God's will overrode ours because our will is free, but it is not freer than God's will. God's will is done and we are loved even though we are not lovely. Before the creation of the world, but accomplished at a moment in time. That should just blow your mind. It's crazy. Verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. At the cross of Christ, we are saved, we are adopted, we were given Christ's righteousness. Colossians 2, 13-15 says that all my sins were written and laid upon him at the cross. Sins I haven't even done yet, because I'm so busy with the sins I got now, I haven't gotten to other ones yet, so i got to learn how to prioritize all my wickedness. All taken care of at the cross of Christ. That's where it's taken care of. And how did he pay for my sins before I've even done them? Because he is eternal. He's an eternal God, and when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, it wasn't metaphorical, it was literal. It is done, period. Before the creation of the world, accomplished at a moment of time, then when was it applied to me? Verse 13, and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having believed, you were marked, chosen from eternity past, accomplished at the cross, applied at the moment of belief. Isn't that just mind-bending? It's like, I can't, we can't even get our heads around it. It's so crazy. You must believe by grace. 
Now, what this tells you is that nothing surprises God. Nothing surprises God. You can always go to Him because He already knows from the foundation of the world that you would do what you did last night. He knows that. He knows that. You can talk to Him because it was taken care of at the cross of Christ. Romans 1.6 says, And you are also among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. So we come to Christ in humbleness and repentance, knowing He has already taken care of everything. Why did God do this? Verse 5, He predestined us to be adopted as His sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with His pleasure and will. Why would God do this? Because that's a lot of work. His pleasure. His pleasure. It makes God happy to change people and to give to them. That is why God does it. Even sometimes people who hate Him. I know some people who are Christians and they're a little irritated about it that God actually saved them. But it makes God happy. Verse 14, it calls these people those who are God's possession. It's a people of love and joy and diversity that's knit together in the oneness of God. God's people taking the life that, that we have been given and living it and sharing it with each other, a people who are God's possession. Do you realize that in eternity past, God decided to create for himself a people who would be in Santa Maria, California in January of 2010? And 2,000 years ago, Jesus dies for those of us who believe. He has given us his life and sought us and is making us one people. And God did it all so we could love Jesus because he first loved us. You see why Paul's so excited? You see why I'm so excited? I'm like, woohoo! It's amazing. We don't have to have conjecture about who God is. We have revelation. Paul starts, verse 3, praise God. Verse 14, he ends, praise God. In the middle of it, he talks about why God is to be praised because he's amazing. He's amazing. And I will tell you this morning, you guys should praise God. You should learn how to be happy and joyful in your salvation. Maybe that's not your standard demeanor. You know, maybe you're not a happy person. Maybe you're Irish and you're always ready to kill somebody. I don't know how that works. And maybe you need some motivation. Ready? I will give you motivation this morning. You ready? God. That's your motivation. Because he's amazing. I'll tell you, there's, there's a reason. Every week we take communion after the message. There's a reason that we, I tell you where the offering boxes are after the message. There is a reason why we sing most of the songs after the message. Because it is a response from a people who better understand our redemption. And we offer our worship and praise to God. That is why we do it that way. God initiates. We respond. We belong to Jesus. And we worship and praise God because of that. Because he gave himself to us. And we can now be in Christ. I invite you guys to communion this morning. You take that cracker. You break it, which represents his body, which is broken for us. You dip it in the wine or the grape juice, which reminds us of his blood that was shed for us. So we can be in Christ. Take communion and be all. Woohoo. We're going to worship God through song. The band's going to come up, and they're going to do a couple songs. And as they do, one of the songs that we do this morning is called uh, How He Loves Us. And this isn't meant to be like, oh, God loves me so much. I'm so wonderful. God loves you because he is so good, not because you're so wonderful. It's because he is so wonderful. And we sing this to remind us and bring us joy about what he has done for us. So we're going to do these songs. And, and as we do, you're invited to sing along, take communion, pray where you're at, and ask God how you can live in this joy and freedom that, that he longs to give to you. So you can understand that the freedom of his grace. Uh, if you've never met Jesus, there'll be deacons and elders in the back, and they would love to pray with you. If you have any need at all in your life right now, and you would like someone to pray with you, they're back there to pray with you. 
We're going to worship God through prayer. We're going to worship God through giving. There's offering boxes on the side wall and on the very back. And we give because giving is part of our worship. And God has given so much to us. So we give as well. We worship God through fellowship where you guys get to know each other and hang out with each other. And there's cookies and cupcakes, sugar, bagels. And oh, there you go. Not so bad. In, in the back, get to know some other people, hang out, because I will tell you, you're stuck with us for eternity. So wonderful. I, I got, I got this email this week from a guy. I, every once in a while, I get like these hate emails, which I think is real. Usually, I just delete them. Cause I'm like, yeah, whatever. You know, I care so much. I'm, I, I got, I got a heart this week. Okay, anyway, so I get this email from this guy, and he's, and, and he just kind of lays into me. And I actually wrote him a response. And at the end of it, I just said, you know what? All of our differences, we're going to spend eternity together in the kingdom of heaven. And all of our differences are going to be gone in the light of the majesty of Christ. And I'll tell you, I, I don't know where that came from because I'm usually not that brilliant. But I, I thought it, I thought it was great when I when I said about and that's true, that's true. We are people who will worship God forever. And and as excited I am this morning about what Paul says in this section of scripture, I'm just going to be so much more excited when I get to actually see it and fully understand it. That we should live as a people of God, live in this church that God wants us to live with Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that we would be a people who learn how to live in your joy and your goodness and your freedom and your grace and that our lives would be those who show that. So that people in our world who seem to struggle so much with hope, with joy, can see that true hope and true joy comes from you is given by your hand. And the more that we know you, the more that we spend time with you, the more that we understand you, the more joyful we become. God, it doesn't mean that we're always happy, but it means that we are joyful because we know you, a great and good God who has revealed himself and done everything in the world to save us. We thank you for being so good to us because we do not deserve it. So I ask that we would take our hearts and lay them down before you because you are the one who is crowned. You are the one who sits on the throne and we should be a people who worship you. I ask you would constantly remind us of your goodness so we would worship you in all that we do. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.